This episode of the Bucktails podcast is brought to you by Pistol Creek and Decked Out John Boat. Pick his head up. Yeah! Look at that! Good deer, babe. On today's episode of Bucktails podcast, episode 13, I interview my old friend Tyler Trammell. His family runs Trammel Tire Pros here in Dahlonega, Georgia, and he kills a great Dahlonega deer. So just tune in, listen in, let me know what you guys think. I'm here with Tyler Trammell. He killed a 141 and 2 eighths deer here in Lumpkin County a few weeks ago uh, with his bow. A giant deer for anywhere, really, but especially for Lumpkin County here in Lumpkin County, it's usually a 100 or 110 inch buck is a giant. You know, it's, it's a, that's a big one. So uh, 140 and, and above is unheard of, really. I mean, it happens every few years, maybe, but uh, we'll get into that later on. But wanted to tell you guys how I know Tyler. We've known each other since my brother and him played eight and under, ten and under Little League. So baseball way back in the day, park and rec ball here in Lumpkin County. Uh, then Tyler played for the high school team, too, and I kept stats. And then they own a uh, tire shop here in town, Trammell Tire Pros. And I buy my tires from them. They change my oil. So we uh, we see each other pretty regularly, too often, really, if, you, if I had to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how I know Tyler. He's a staple in the community, him and his dad. And uh, it's a, and some family-run Tremble Tire Pros. So it's a great place to be. Um, but, yeah, just, so that's kind of how I know Tyler. So we'll get into – I want to ask Tyler, how did you start hunting? Like, where did you, was it, do you have a hunting club? Did you hunt private land? You know, who kind of got you started hunting? It's kind of crazy. Um, My dad never, I mean, he hunted, I think, when he was younger, but uh, I never really hunted much until really after high school. My cousin, Ryan Simmons, um, who also works at Trammel Tire, um, is a tight family business. We, um, he actually was the first one that ever took me hunting. And, um, I kind of showed interest, um, in shooting bows and, uh, we, you know, started doing that and, you know, naturally started hunting from there. And, uh, he was the one that kind of taught me the, you know, ins and outs of everything and, um, you know, how to look for sign, that kind of stuff. Funny story on that. The first time he ever took me, um, he was kind of showing me like what to look for, the signs you have. And little did I know on the way out there, he had stopped and got like a bag of raisinets and like was walking out there. And he was like, look right there. He's like, that's, um, you know, like deer poop. And like, you gotta, he's like, if you, um, taste it, you can tell if it's a buck or a doe. And I like looked and I was like, what, are you kidding me? And he like picked one up. And he just kind of like slid, I guess, the raisinette down into his hand. And he like acted like he ate it. And he's like, that's definitely a buck. He's like, you got to sit here. And like at that moment, I was like, man, I don't know if this is for me. He's like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And uh, he let it go that whole, that whole evening. And then later that, that night he asked me, he's like, man, did you ever, uh, did you ever try that, those deer droppings? And I was like, no, I don't think I did. And he like slid that bag out and he's like, well, good. And he's like, I didn't either. He's like, there's no way. So, um, but that was like the kind of the, he was the first one that kind of introduced me to it. And then, um, yeah, he, I mean, that's kind of been it. Um, I'm really kind of the only one other than him that hunts in my family. And, um, from that first time, 
I've been hooked ever since. Learn more every time I go. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun. I absolutely love it. Nice. How old were you when he took you on that uh, raising that adventure? Uh, I would have. I would have been either 18 or 19. So, I mean, I was fresh out of high school. So, um, and I'm now almost 32. So. Gotcha. That, that's interesting. Cause you know, a lot of, some of the people I've interviewed, it's, you know, from the time they're five or six, so that's pretty neat that you started later on and you've, you know, been pretty successful uh, since you've been hunting, but no, that's pretty neat. Yeah, no, it, yeah, I was more than blessed to, to get a chance at a deer like this. Um, I killed my first buck that year um later in the year and it was like a little five pointer um but it, i mean it was cool i was proud of it um i hunted all year and and at the very end of season i got him with my bow and then um for probably two or three maybe even four four more years i didn't kill a deer at all um because i was waiting to get a good mature deer and um learned a ton what did work what didn't work um places to be you know situations not to hunt and um, I think it was 2019, um, I actually got, actually tagged out that year. Um, I got two bucks that year, one from a place in Oakwood that I hunt, this private land. And then um, another one off this same track of land that I got the, the deer I shot this year. And um, it was real, I'll never forget that because one, my wife was with me. Um, so she got to see that and it was on my birthday. Um, and that, that's a whole nother story too. So we'll have to save that for another podcast maybe, but, um, but yeah, this was, um, just, uh, I guess an accumulation of, of time and effort, uh, trials and, you know, everything that did and didn't work leading up to this. And, uh, there was a chance at this earlier, a couple of days before I actually killed him that I, I was not able to, to, you know, nail down a shot so but we'll get into that i guess as we go on leading up to it but it's been cool yeah no that's awesome like i said it's, it's different different so far you know i'm pretty early in this podcast game i think you're going to be episode number 13 but a lot of the people i've interviewed have hunted for a long time so it's pretty interesting to see you know someone who started started at 18 pretty pretty much an adult you know it's interesting to see you know, I'm sure your maturation process was a lot faster than someone who started at, you know, five years old. So you learned a lot really quick because, you know, cognitively you can understand, you know, okay, this, this makes more sense than that does. So that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to go ahead and jump into the story, uh, I don't, I'm not sure the exact date that you killed your deer. I'll pull it up here on my end as far as the, uh, I'll share my screen and show it. But if you want to go ahead and start your story of this buck, um, you said it was 141 and two eights unofficial. So if that score holds, that's number two in Lumpkin County. So just for reference, for those of you that are listening, it's uh doesn't happen very often to kill this caliber of a deer, especially with the bow. I mean, it's a giant. So if you want to go ahead and start your story of this one, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so I hunted not necessarily this deer last year, but – I knew he was in this general area um, and he was, he was a good deer. He was a good solid eight pointer. And um, I never did. I got pictures of him, you know, morning and night, he was coming regularly, but I never could nail down actually seeing him when I was hunting. So I don't know if it was something where the situations never just were lining up. He was winding me um, bad luck. He was, he may have had me, you know, on a schedule just like I had him, but um 
it's easy to say looking back on it that you know I'm, I'm glad that deer didn't get killed because I never had the opportunity but I guess as I'm learning more this is why you kind of let deer grow too because I'm thinking this deer was probably a four-year-old and what he did from three to four was insane and um, I'll make sure I share a picture that way you can include that too of what he was just in January at the end of last year as far as hunting season just to see what he did in those few short months as far as growth because um, it was pretty spectacular but I got pictures of him all summer um, kind of I pulled out of that area I didn't I don't I didn't pressure it too much as far as being in and out of there um, until probably about a month or so um, before season started and um, set up all my stuff, started getting pictures and um, he was there pretty quick. And, you know, of course, as soon as I saw trail cam pictures, I was like, holy cow, this deer has exploded. So I was like that I'm after that deer. Um, I pretty much put everything else to the side um, that other spot in Oakwood that I hunt, it's got great deer also, but nothing like this. So put in all my effort there, um, kind of started getting a game plan of where I wanted to be. Um, this general area in Lumpkin, um, it's a 18 acre tract that my father owns and it's a neat spot in the sense that it's subdivision, but it's not like I'm walking in and, you know, going in some garden hunting like a half acre to an acre you know where you can still see completely wooded um it's really neat uh just the way the track is it's got a creek that you know kind of flows from the top to the bottom um a lot of good hardwoods um pines i mean everything that would be you know a deer's home is there um so i positioned kind of two different spots um i have a like a hang on stand that i would go and climb in and um, it, I would hang it down by the creek. And last year, that's where I had to kind of get to see any kind of action at all. So I kind of planned that that's probably where I was going to have to get to kill that deer. And it's a lot deeper, harder to get in there without running deer off. Um, and then I had a blind set up that was in an area that I learned just in that spot, the deer never noticed it. They never paid any attention. It was well hidden. I had great cover. And that's kind of where I was going to start at. And, um, so that's kind of how I set the area up and, uh, it's kind of a funnel the way this property works. They kind of move up from the Creek up in, and they kind of run the edge of this pasture, which leads them out of that track up into kind of really the main subdivision where they just kind of hang out in all the pastures and, you know, whatnot and feed up there. So it's kind of like a, a transfer spot really where they come in from probably bedding, they go out feed and they come back. And, um, so I kind of, that was my game plan. And um, leading up to, I guess, opening uh, week, he was coming morning and night and stayed there for a pretty good, good amount of time. So I knew I had a pretty solid chance at this deer early. Um, he was hanging out with a little bachelor group. Um, so he was still summer patterns and, you know, it, the chances were looking good anyway. So my game plan was that first weekend I was going to go and I hunted out of that hang on, which just because I was able to get there at good times of the day and, and sit out there for a long time. And the first night, uh, conditions were right. Wind was good. So went, sat in there and deer just started coming in immediately. Um, which I can't confirm that that deer was there that night, but I'm pretty sure he was in the area because that same group of bucks moved up to where I was. 
but I positioned myself wrong. I had, I kind of positioned myself with my back to where they would come that way. I was hoping they'd come by me and then I'd have a better shooting area to where I figured they would be moving in. And I don't know if they were able to smell me or if maybe I moved or flinched something had them freaked out that night and they never would come in. Um, so I, I didn't see anything that night. And, um, so kind of went back home, you know, kind of rethought, uh, you know, my game plan. And then the next morning I started getting cell cam pictures where they were back in the area, same group of bucks, which I could, I saw them that night, the smaller ones. And, um, I was like, all right, that was that same group. So, I mean, there's a good chance that he's still with them. And, um, it was a couple of days later. So I guess this would be the second week of, um, bow season. And it would have been Monday or excuse me, Sunday night, Sunday night. Um, I actually moved to the blind. So I was, I'm just going to try it, see if that fixes, you know, the way they can move in, if they're more comfortable. And lo and behold, uh, maybe it was about 6.45, um, right at 7, deer start funneling in like crazy. They start coming in left and right. So I'm like, all right, everything looks good. Um, does start coming in, feeding, you know, not a worry in the world. They're calm. Well, one buck, two buck, three. There was, uh, you know, a good eight-pointer he was with. Um, a real good six um, that will be a great deer in a couple of years, probably. And um, they moved in and then a couple smaller ones and they're kind of, you know, doing what they do. They're kind of like, you know, trying to show dominance and they're messing around with each other. And then boom, here he is. He shows up exactly the way I expect him to come in. And uh, he moves in about 50 or 60 yards. So, I mean, nothing comfortable yet. And he moves in and then he stays with these two other bucks. And Eli, I mean, it was like he knew everything he needed to do to not be in a shot. It was like they would move over to the left and he would stay right in between them. Like no shot ever. And they, they honestly like zigzagged through my shooting lane like that for a good probably 20, 25 minutes. And they moved in. The, the closest I had them was like 35, maybe 40 yards. And it never it never presented itself and it was probably the most frustrating like nerve wracking my legs like I was having to hold my knees down because my knees were like shaking so bad because I just I was so amped up because I, I thought I was going to get the shot I thought I had a chance at this deer and there was a split second where he was like just past being straight on to me just like quartering to me and like for a split moment like I, I thought I was like do you try it? But I'm like, at the same time, do you take a shot like that? One, I mean, injure the deer. That's like worst case scenario. And then, you know, it runs off and you don't, you know, you don't recover it and that's wasted, wasted meat, wasted deer, or, I mean, you just blow it completely. I mean, it, there's just a lot of stuff that could go wrong and that's stuff from, you know, learning, hearing other people talk, watching other hunting shows, um, which side note and whatnot, as far as learning what we were talking earlier, that hunting public show, I watch religiously. So, um, that's always been cool to learn stuff from them. Um, cause they, they talk a lot and they teach a lot during their, their show too. So that's always been neat, but to get back on that deer, unfortunately tonight, that night I watched him walk away, um, all the way up through the pasture. And I mean, my heart was broke. Um, to see a deer like that in person was insane to watch him walk through the woods. 
but to watch him walk away was um was very tough and i uh i had my tail tucked walking out of there that night um the only good thing that i took out of it because i actually i called a, a good buddy of mine um trevor udy who's another local hunter that you know i've actually i've learned a lot from talking to him too um from his failures and successes um was you know the best thing that could have happened happened. I didn't take a bad shot. I didn't spook the deer and he left without a worry. And I left with, you know, so it didn't mess up the spot. Um, so I came home that night and just lost sleep over that. Just trying to think of everything I could have done right different to present like a better situation. And, um, I, I really couldn't think of one. So I gathered myself back up went out the next night nothing didn't show um which the chances of him coming back again were pretty slim i was like, i'll never see this deer again um but i knew my only chances were to get in there every night i would leave work at 5 30 and i could be in that stand you know quiet by 5 50 because i would time myself to see just you know keeping track of how everything was moving two nights went by no not seeing him and then that the night that I killed him, I was in the deer stand. Um, 552 is what I looked at, I believe, on my watch. I remember it like it, you know, it was like everything was in slow motion that night. I got there, it was dead calm, dead calm, not a, a stick of wind, nothing. 20 minutes went by, all of a sudden, like the wind, like the trees started bowing over, the wind started swirling. I was like, there's no way. I was like, if if they're in because it's hot on top of everything else so i've been sweating walking in uh the conditions just seem like this is not going to be good there's no chance these deer are going to move tonight so i didn't see any deer um i think i actually saw a stray doe i take that back and she kind of came in but she was all freaked out it was almost like she was smelling me or smelling something um so they were just all sketchy um she left and i went probably 45 minutes um, maybe, maybe an hour. It was right at, cause it was right at seven before all of a sudden the wind stopped. It went dead calm again. And then it was like the woods came to life. Um, those moved back in, um, a couple small bucks that, um, I'd, I'd been seeing around, you know, they, they moved in and started feeding. And then the one eight pointer that he'd been hanging around with, he moved in and they came in one by one from that Creek bottom, just as I'd been expecting one by one after another the six um, another four and i think a five started doing the same thing started you know kind of messing around with each other um there's some like real low lying cover over to the right of where i was sitting um some like vines and stuff that they're over there messing around with and so they hung around in there for a while 10 or 15 minutes and then right at about 7 15 here he comes he comes walking up there's a, it's like a little ridge comes from the Creek the same way he did that one night. And he, uh, he walked in, um, he came up to about 50, maybe 55 yards right in the shooting lane and then peeled over to the edge, the same, the same area he went when I watched him walk away. And so I was like, no, please, please don't do this to me again. And, uh, he kind of messed around over there and started acting like he was going to walk up that little ditch and just leaked but he got to right at i'd say 35 40 yards over there and then it's like he just stopped and 
took a direct V line straight over to my shooting lane again. And he came over and that's when, you know, I got ready, got set up. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, he comes in. I was like, know your spots, shoot. I kind of was sitting there ready. And um, he came in, he was super calm. And uh, he, he kind of looked around at those deer messing around because they were messing around behind him. And then he just went straight over, right into sh shooting lane. He dropped down perfectly broadside. He put his head up and then just paused. And I was there, boom, perfect shot right behind the shoulder. Uh, arrow went straight through. Um, I kind of stuck my head out the blind and listen, he ran up a hill and it was pretty dark at that time. It was like 7.30. So, I mean, like you could see, but you couldn't see real far off. Um, and then I heard him. It was just like a bunch of leaves rustling, just boom, 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 boom. And then it just got quiet. And I was just like, he's down. Like he's 50 yards up on that hill. He is down. Um, so I, I put all my stuff down. I immediately called Trevor. I called Trevor and he picked up the phone and he didn't even say anything. He says, is that deer dead? And I said, he's down. And he said, I'm on the way. So I, I pulled out just in case, you know, if there was anything wrong, um, giving him time. Uh, we waited probably 45 minutes, maybe right at an hour. It was past dark. And um, we went down there, found that arrow um, right, right where kind of where I shot him. Uh, found good blood, good blood on the arrow. And um, we started tracking. I mean, and then, you know, 40 yards up the, up the woods, we started seeing blood going out both sides. And I was like, this deer, this, this deer's got to be dead. And we looked up and I actually had a, I brought a, a thermal ocular and I started scanning. Trevor was looking at the blood and I started scanning and I was like, Trevor, I was like, he's right there. And we looked, shined our light up there and you can see his belly, white belly and just antlers. They're just sticking up through the trees. And it, it was the best feeling ever, man. Um, everybody deserves to feel that at some point. No, that that's an awesome story. And man, I can't imagine how hard it was to see him walk away that one night. Um, I bet that was heartbreaking. You said you lost sleep over it. I'm, I'm sure you did. Uh, but no, the, I got chills whenever you said you called Trevor, like that's one of the best things about hunting to me is being able to share it with the, with your family, with your friends, be able to be like, like send that text. Hey, he's down. Cause you know, it, it's like a, it's almost like it takes a village to kill the deer. Obviously, you're the one that pulls the trigger on the, on the, you know, the release and all. But uh, definitely, like it's you're talking to people, you're learning from people. I mean, it's it's a it's a group effort, especially on the on the tracking side of things. But uh, no, that's awesome. That's a I don't even know how you made it through that that one that night. You had to wait after watching him walk away. Uh, I, I would I would have lost my uh, mind, man. And my wife can account for that because I was just like pacing in the living room, like, just like, what could I have done different? Like, should I should have done this, should I have done that, this and that. And all she said was, she's like, you just got to keep going. She's like, just go every night. And that's like, that's what we talked about. You just, my, my, my chance was that he was still on summer patterns. Like he was hanging around with these bachelor bucks and still doing what they do in summer when they don't have a worry in the world before they, you know, basically ghost you until a rut. And, um, that's, that's what it took. It took going every day that I had a chance as soon as I got off work and just putting in the time. And that's really the biggest thing that I've learned over the, the past several years is it takes, a, it takes a little luck. You know, of course, it's preparation. Um, a little luck goes into it because the, the opportunity has to present itself and the conditions have to be right. But um, you just got to go. Um, the more, the more you go, the more chances you have, and, um, you're definitely not going to kill one sitting at the house. So, um, the two years that I've had the most success 
that's what, that's what the difference was for me was going. I mean, every chance that I had to be in the woods, I was there. And that, that's been the biggest thing for me. Cause I mean, I've learned a ton, obviously. Um, I've, I've had more hunts that I didn't see anything than I have that, that I have good hunts, but that was the biggest key to me so far that I've learned is that you just got to go. Um, the more chances you give yourself, the more the opportunities will show up. So not for sure. Um, that's, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, hunting over bait because, you know, that's ever since it became legal in the Northern zone in Georgia, that's something that everybody does. If, if you're not doing it, you're behind the eight ball. Yeah. Uh, unless you have big ag fields or, you know, corn fields, things like that. I mean, but people up here, like, you know, most, if you hunt in Dahlonega or around Lumpkin County, you're really hunting rural areas, usually a small tracts of land. Cause I mean, 18 acres is a good bit of land, but it's still, you know, pretty small. So, I mean, I'm, you may have a food plot over there, but, uh, I talk to my buddies all the time about hunting over bait and how it's changed kind of the game. And, and, you know, people think, Oh, if you hunt over bait, you, you can just hunt once and kill a deer, but you're exactly right. It takes a lot of time and effort. I killed my biggest buck last year. And I tell you, it was a cat and mouse game. I, I didn't have a cell camera at the time, but I think I kind of, I sat like 30 or 40 hours before I ever, before I ever got to see that deer on the hoof. But luckily the first time I got to see him, I shot him. So like, like, like I was telling you, you having to see that deer and him walking away, I don't know how you did it because I couldn't hardly stand it to see in that deer alive that I killed on the hook for five minutes. You know, I saw that he came out quick, shot was quick. It was over. So having to see him and especially that first time where you had to watch him, how, how long did you say he was out there for 15, 20 minutes probably? I mean, yeah. Um, gosh, it, it, it's kind of a, a blur now, but I mean, if I try to think about this, you know, the time that I knew he came in, and then just when it gets dark, because that's about the time he moved in around seven ish. That was kind of his time frame to start moving in that area. Um, and I'd been getting pictures of him. Is I've had the earliest picture I had in the evening uh, was around six fifteen. So I mean, he'd been moving early, but both those nights that I saw him, it was later. So in that seven to you know seven thirty, seven forty five. But it was a good 15, 20 minutes that. I had to watch that deer and I'm sitting there, you know, my mind's just going a million miles an hour trying to think of what's he going to do? Like, you know, trying to think ahead of where he might be or what he's going to do so that I can be ready. And I don't get surprised because it is, it happens like that. And it never did. And I, I was just blown away. I was like, how can I see that deer for that long and never get a chance? Um, but that's just kind of the, the tough part of, of bow hunting too. Cause I mean, if, if I'd had a gun, I mean, I could, you know, you could kill that deer multiple different times with a gun. Um, it's just that, that kind of shows you the, the, the hard, um, the, how challenging, you know, hunting with a bow can be, um, because the conditions and, you know, everything, the scenario has to be just right for you to make a clean, safe, justified shot so that, you know, you, you make a, a good shot so that you're doing that deer justice too. Cause I mean, I've, which I've never had to do that. Thankfully, as far as make a bad shot and then have to live with it or, or go, you know, to know I injured a deer like that, um, with a bow by making a bad choice or, or a bad shot. Um, but that's not something I ever want to do. And I hope I don't ever do, but that's, uh, you know, one of the things I try to, to think through when I'm setting myself up, do I give myself the best chance to, to make a clean shot? 
so that, you know, the deer dies in a quick manner. Right. Yeah. That's something else that uh, I wanted to bring up about feeding because normally if, if you use corn or deer candy or whatever kind of bait you use, yeah. More often than not, you're going to have not just your target buck, but you're going to have smaller bucks, four or five does. I mean, you're going to have eyeball. You're going to have an extra set of eyeballs or five around you at all times. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, there were times where if it would have been just your buck that first sit, you probably could have got him, but he was in between two other deer or behind a deer. And that's something that people don't think about whenever, you know, oh, yeah, you're hunting over bait or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and, and it, it obviously helps, but it adds its own set of obstacles, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Because you've got yeah. sketchy shots, you're going to have to like decide, okay, when I'm, when is he going to be open? You're going to have to watch him like you did for, you know, 10, 15 plus minutes, which is difficult. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's the little nuances that you learn the more you do. And that's the, like, in choosing like uh, uh, like you said you killed him out of a ground blind right yeah yeah and to be honest with you what you're hitting that a nail the nail on the head right there you know hunting over bait now does it yeah it brings deer in but it creates many challenges too because i mean that scenario in itself was due to that it that funnel and then to the fact that we created like a breeding spot right there the fact that i had so many deer moving in is really what kept me from getting a shot that night um so yeah it's 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 tough it it may make some things you know easier or you know looked upon differently but it also adds its own challenge because that's exactly what happened to me that night is i had too many deer moving in um all going to the same spot in a very confined area and that's really why i picked that blind was because with so many deer moving in it masked me that much more so that if I did need to move or reposition myself, I could. Um, luckily, you know, I had it kind of set up in the way I was set up in that specific area. It, it was pretty basic as far as, you know, how I was going to shoot him. Um, so I was able to be, I mean, set up almost perfect. If, if he came into the right way and, and faced the right direction, it was, it was solid. It was set. And, you know, that's what happened. So. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so that's, like I said, that's something that, uh, I wanted to bring up too. like hunting in a ground. I hunt, I do a lot of hunting out of a ground blind when they're easy to set up, easy to get in and out of, but whenever you've got a bunch of deer around you, you're concealed your leg, you don't have to worry about your legs. And if you're sitting, like, if you're sitting up against the back wall of it, the light can't really hit you. So, I mean, you're pretty well concealed and that's, I was going to bring that up. So I'm glad you did. But uh, yeah, ground blinds are definitely good because some of those some lock ons, if you don't have like good a good backdrop, I mean, you're out in the open, you know, or even yeah. a climbing stand, you know, depending on what kind of a stand or if you have a cover or like a blind around it. Some, I mean, if you've got that many extra deer eyeballs around you and you're trying to get ready to draw back, I mean, a blind is a blind is hard to beat. Yeah. No, I've really grown. I've really enjoyed, um, I'd say the past two or three years, I've really used them a lot more for that reason. Um, and plus two, the, like the way deer like to sneak up on you from behind you and stuff like that, you know, you don't get busted as easy. Um, one, you know, my wife likes to go, um, and it's, it's easier for her obviously to get in there and, and whatnot. So I've really enjoyed, um, adding that into the the list of things to to do and set up it it's been a lot of fun learning what works for them you can mask them really well 
um, if you do it right, you know, their, their deer aren't, you know, freaked out by it. And that was the biggest thing in that area. Every time I did try to hunt up in a tree, I would find a good spot, but I would always, something always happened to where the deer weren't comfortable, whether I don't know if I was, they were winding me or if something didn't look right to them. I never had a real good successful hunt in that area from, you know, a climbing stand where I get up in, in the air as far as to where I'm comfortable. You know, some people get, you know, 20, 25 foot, 30, whatever. That's not me. I've never been one like that. I'm like that, you know, 10, 12, 15 foot max. And so that's, that's kind of something that anyway. Um, so, yeah. Welcome back. Had a lapse in Zoom. Thank you for the issue, Zoom. But we are back. Um, so what what I wanted to bring up next, we've been talking about ground blinds and how those help and just concealing, you know, deer coming in from the back and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the next topic I had on my little list there was talking about learning about hunting. So we've touched on a little bit how he started later on in life, 18 or 19, you know, I was lucky, you know, my dad, I've been hunting. Uh, I remember taking naps in uh, box stands when I was growing up, when I, you know, four or five years old. And my mom, you know, quite a few times her dad would tap us on the shoulder. All right, put your headphones on. You know, we're about to shoot a deer. You know, after taking a nap in the floor of a deer stand. So, you know, I've been hunting since I was, you know, since I've been able to, you know, since I've been able to stay still. But uh, so it's interesting to see how learning has evolved for hunting. And definitely, I watch a lot of hunters on YouTube, the Seek One. They do a lot of the urban style hunting, which is kind of what you're doing. It's You have definitely a honey hole with 18 acres, but it is, you know, anytime you're hunting in the city limits, usually those deer are fairly untouched, um, not, not quite as hunted. I mean, they're hunted more than you think. I feel like everybody who has uh, the Onyx or a hunt stand app and can see property owners, they're door knocking, they're finding out, you know, they're getting, they're getting in there. But um you talked about hunting public a lot. So learning about hunting, obviously it's a community deal. You said you talked to Trevor a lot. So part of it is, you know, kind of the campfire talk, talking to, talking to your buddies, but uh, I wanted to get into a little bit, just, you know, what's your, what's your go-to if you wanted to learn something, you know, obviously you'll probably call Trevor, but past that, what's your go-to as far as like looking up, as, if you wanted to look up mock scrapes, you know, how would you look up or how would you research that kind of thing? For me, like, I, you know, you can always learn a lot reading and stuff like that. But for me, like I get on and I find videos and stuff to where I watch somebody doing it or they talk me through how to do something. Um, reverting back to that hunt in public, um, I've learned just a ton of stuff I've learned through them watching their videos because, you know, they don't just go out there and kill a deer and video it. You know, they'll teach you and talk to you and, and show you the things of why they do this, why they do that. But for me, that's always kind of been something if somebody hasn't shown me or if I haven't learned it through somebody, which because of kind of the, you know, how, I, you know, I came into hunting, I didn't have a lot of people, you know, teaching me that as I grew up. It's always been something I've just kind of tried to, to self-learn. Um, watching videos, man. Um, there's a lot of good information out there, stuff you don't ever think about. Um, and a lot of it can be very simple um that really goes a long way um so for me yeah it's just getting online finding videos where somebody is teaching and, and showing you how to do something that's where i've learned the most yeah i think that's why youtube hunter, hunting shows and uh, people like the hunting public are so successful 
is because they're not afraid to, you know, give you the give you the details. They know like on you watch some of the shows on Outdoor Channel, they're trying to sell a product most of the time. And right. you know, they'll say, Oh, we're using this certain kind of a buck bomb or this spray, and they're hunting, you know, highly managed places across the country. So it's like, now you could have been like spraying water and the deer still would have come in, you know, it doesn't matter what you're using. But hunting public, they're, you know, definitely down to earth. They do a good job of explaining and, you know, just breaking down barriers, you know, uh, being yeah. very open. And there's there's multiple, you know, channels out there. I know the hunting public does a lot with the hunting beast. And a lot of those guys are kind of in the Midwest or the northern region of the country. So it's different than Georgia, but definitely still applicable. Um, yeah, I'm the same way, though. I like to look up anything. I mean, you can learn how to do something with your car or if you have a rattle or some kind of a noise you can find a video on youtube about it or if you wanted to fix something with your washer or dryer it's on youtube and that's the something that's very like i guess the last five or ten years or so like the amount of content to learn especially hunting has exploded on youtube and that's uh something it's, it's changing the landscape of hunting but for a good for a good way for sure for sure is insane now um if you if you've encountered it thought it or anything i mean it's out there somebody else has and somebody's put something up about it which is pretty neat i mean it's pretty amazing if you think about it um because what some people may learn over a span of you know 10 to 15 years hunting and it takes them to figure that out you can have that same scenario or question go put on it you know put it out online and have an answer that same night and then start you know Re, you know reiterating it and putting it into your own hunting stuff and so i mean it just that's could just go back to what you're saying is of how you can advance your hunting so much faster now because you don't have to necessarily learn it through failure you can go see somebody else's online and they can tell you how to correct it yeah it's not just the old monster bucks videos of them hunting the milk river in montana you know and all the the famous you know you know bill jordan and all those guys david blanton you know, you could learn some, but mostly you're just there watching giant deer get killed. But nowadays it's like people are there to lift each other up and it's a community deal. And like you said, it's just the information is there if you're willing to seek it out. Um, the next thing I wanted to kind of dip into, I guess, before we wrap this thing up is uh, kind of your what what'd you use, like your your tools of the trade. I know uh, broadheads are a. I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but broadheads are really opinionated. You know, some people are like, oh, it's got to be a fixed blade or it has to be a single bevel. You know, the hunting public guys are big on the single bevel because they hunt from the ground a lot. They shoot the really super heavyweight arrows. Uh, so, yeah. So go into like what what's your bow set up, what's your broadhead set up, if you know your arrow weight, that kind of thing. So, you know, kind of your equipment, what you use? Well, that's kind of the another funny part about it. Normally, I shoot a Matthew compound, um, but I actually sold it last year. Um, needed some quick cash, and I actually killed this deer with my wife's um, crossbow, which is not something I've normally ever done. She, I got her that um, because it was something that she could use easily. Um, she didn't really like using a gun, and of course, the the technicality of, of using a compound wasn't really necessarily what she wanted as as a somebody just getting started. So I killed with her crossbow. It's a wicked Ridge. Um, and I used a mechanical broadhead, uh, Schwackers and it did its job big time. Um, I'd always shot rage stuff, um, with my own stuff. That's what I'd always use. Um, you know, it, 
I'd always liked that, but probably fell into more of the marketing that they do. They're a big name. Um, but Daniel Tritt, Tritt Sporting Goods, he pushed me to those schwackers when I bought that crossbow for her. Um, man, firm believer in them now. Um, I really like the setup they have on the band that holds the blades in. Um, you can bump them around, knock them on stuff, and they don't come out where the rages sometimes. I mean, if the wind blows, those will fall out. Um, so that was my setup. Uh, I'm not real sure on the weight. I don't want to tell you wrong on the arrow. Um, so I, I don't want to mislead you anyway on that. But um, nothing too fancy. I mean, it was her setup. Um, I shot it a bunch leading up to hunting season just to make sure it was, you know, dialed in. And I mean, man, it was it was easy peasy. That thing's a tack driver. So um, and it was uh, not 100% sure of the model, but it was, you know, just a, a base model crossbow. Nothing fancy, nothing crazy as far as the speed. It was just a good bow for her to start out with. And it uh it got the job done nice yeah i think i think i either saw that bow or you may have been there or i was there when you picked it up i saw it was a wicked ridge because i bought a new crossbow myself last year i got a barnet but i i shoot schwackers for the same reason daniel at tritz speaking of tritz i've got the the hat on here but uh but yeah uh daniel is a firm believer him and his brother have killed a lot of animals with a schwacker i killed a doe, a bear, a buck. My wife killed a doe with the schwackers. I mean, they're they're deadly things. I mean, some. I mean, you would think that the entry hole wouldn't be quite what you want it with a schwacker, but I mean, it's it, it does its job. The deer bleed good. I mean, it kill it kills them. I mean, it's I have confidence in it, and that's kind of like you know, for example, my brother is in in the process of changing broadheads right now, or or thinking about changing, and he was talking, we've been talking about it a lot, and I'm like, any broadhead out there will kill a deer. This really right. goes down to confidence. If you, if you have confidence in it, then you should probably shoot it. If you're not confident, then don't, don't take it with you to the woods, you know, so, I mean, they're all deadly, but no, I'm a firm believer in schwackers, um, but I mean, and with a crossbow, the bolt's usually pretty heavy as it is, I think I'm shooting the uh, Carbon, Ex uh, Carbon Express pile drivers. They're some of the heavier ones, like Grains per inch. But um, and crossbows, they shoot so fast. I mean, it really doesn't matter what you're what you don't have to really focus on the weight as much as you do with the compound. Because I mean, they're shooting 400 feet per second or more, most of them. Or I think mine's like 375 is where it's advertised. But I mean, at that speed, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you could if you get heavier, it'll be a little bit slower, but yeah, that was one thing I was shocked about is just the punch that that arrow put on that deer. I mean, it sounded like it it sounded like an arrow hit concrete. I mean, it was just I mean, it brutal. Um so I was I was pretty impressed um with with what it did. Obviously, I mean, it it got the job done, but um that was the first time ever shooting a deer with a crossbow and I mean, it was it, it was pretty brutal. So I mean, it it uh it definitely did its job. That's a, a deadly combo. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, am all for that for the future. So, but yeah. I would like to, would like to get me another Matthews. I'm, I'm pretty particular. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, something about bow hunting, man, it's more like more primal. You can hear like just hearing it hit the deer, you know, gun hunting's fun. I mean, yeah. it's uh, obviously effective, but, uh, Something about bow hunting, you can, you know, it's, it's quieter. You can hear it hit the deer. And like you said, when you hit it with a schwacker, I mean, it, it is a, it is a noise to behold. Uh, and you can, you can usually tell, like, if you don't hear that noise, you're like, nah, I probably didn't hit him that good. 
But uh, no, that's one thing I like about bow hunting is you just hear all the noises, you hear it hit the deer, you can tell more of what's going on. You're not like deaf after the shot. You're like, did I hear him fall? Um, but yeah. So uh, and then you know, what do you have one of like the see through blinds, like the ones where you can see through all the panels, or is it a pretty basic ground blind? No, mine's pretty basic. Um, and honestly, I've I've actually since i started doing that. I liked these so much that, um, they're just the basic ones that they, um, you can't see, you know, it's not the one where you can see through the whole like wall of it. Right. Um, got the, um, like the twofold deal where, um, it's Velcro, but you can let the flat down and it's like camouflage where they can't see in, but you can see out in just your shooting lane. Um, and, uh, what I did is I kind of, I kept everything covered to where it was completely black except for right in front of me. And then there's like two smaller panels on the side that I used to just kind of let some more light in for me. And what I did is I just kind of pulled one corner down on my left side so that I had a shooting lane. Cause I mean, they advertise that you can shoot arrows through those, but I've just never liked the idea of it um, at all. I don't even want to try it just to see. So, um, of course with a gun, that's a different story, but with a bow, um, I made sure I just pulled down a small portion, just enough for me to be able to, you know, have a shooting lane with no, no obstructions. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I, most of the blinds I have have that little, the mesh you can pull down and it's like, Oh, you can shoot through it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to <laughs> for sure. Not. But and that's uh, one thing I like about blinds too, is you can literally cater the air, cater the windows exactly to like if you need to have one portion of a tree covered up but on the other side you can see better you can you know kind of shape the windows up on most of them and i kind of right. like that aspect but uh yeah love ground blinds love bow hunting it's a good time but uh but yeah man thanks for coming on uh if you want any if you want to add any other details you can but i mean that's i think we've kind of knocked it knocked it dead yeah no, man. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, I feel like, uh, once I killed that deer, I, uh, honestly, I got more calls about that deer at work than I did tire questions for like two days. I felt like I was a celebrity. So, I mean, it was a cool feeling. Um, definitely a deer of a lifetime. I mean, what a blessing to have a chance at a deer like that, have the stories to tell. And I mean, the fact that, you know, I'm going to, we're going to try to send that deer in after that 60 day dry in period. Um, to get it scored officially and whatnot. And then just the, the chance for it to be, you know, top two, three, four, whatever in Lumpkin County. I mean, that'll be something, something cool to have to say I did something cool to tell my, my son that, you know, is on the way here in the next couple of weeks, a cool story to have to tell him. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a high bar I've set for myself moving forward to try to top that deer. But um, yeah, there's nothing better, man. Deer yeah. hunting there's this it's the best thing ever well hey early early congratulations on that little one uh i know that's going to be awesome for you we've got two little girls i can hear them screaming through the door you can probably hear them on the recording a little bit but they're in there raising okay. raising cane with their mama but uh yeah that's something you said you know you got more phone calls about the deer that's one thing that's interesting about this town is you know it's a we have one sporting goods store and, you know, the stories of your deer and any big deer that's killed are circulated. Pictures are shared. I mean, I've, I've sent your picture, pictures of your deer. I've gotten pictures of your deer. Oh, my gosh, you see the deer Tyler killed. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's very interesting. And it's like you're, you are locally famous, you know, more, more so than before. 
but locally famous, local legend, if you will, um, for killing a deer like that. Because I mean, anybody who hunts or has any, you know, inkling of deer in the county, know that know that you killed it. You know, it's uh. So you got your, you know, fifteen minutes or thirty minutes or uh, you know a year long of fame, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, even like Andre Erich, I'm sure you've seen or seen and heard about that deer. Oh, yeah. 170 inches and that's what i told him I was like you're a local legend now and he's not even really he's not even from the area but i'm like that's killing deer like you killed like he killed that's yeah that, that, that'll it'll be talked about for years for sure that's the funny thing eli is you know i remember when he killed that deer i remember seeing pictures of it and i'm just like good lord like i can't imagine getting a chance at a deer like that and you just never know you know what i mean you know, and, you know, fast forward and then here you go, you get a chance yourself at a deer like that. So, I mean, it can happen to anybody. Um, you know, I was just absolutely lucky and blessed that, it, you know, he was in my area and I had the opportunity and chance to, to kill him because I know there were several other people. I'm sure you probably heard there's there's there were many people hunting that deer. Um, I was just the lucky one that got the chance and the, uh, the opportunity, you know, everything lined up for me to get him. And I'm I'm pretty grateful for that. So, um yeah, maybe uh, maybe maybe we'll be able to top that in one of these years. Well, you never know. You can top them. You can top them next weekend. But yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, and we'll see you later. Yep, thanks for having me. Eli. Have a good night, man. The Bucktails Podcast, brought to you in part by Trick Sporting Goods in Delonica, Georgia.